Welcome to another edition of Cinema Around the Corner. My name is Ben Wager, along with my co-host, Don Gibson. Hey there. And today, uh, we're looking at films adapted from plays from the decade of 2000. And uh, we both picked a couple of strong uh, films that we really enjoyed uh, and were very powerful in their own different ways. And we're going to open up by... Don Gibson introducing uh, the film he chose. Go ahead, Don. Well, so the film I'm uh, looking at is uh, Doubt, um, as you said. Uh, are you are you sure? I do have some doubts, which is the point of the film, which is exactly <laughs> it. First of all, the thing about the film, it's uh, incredibly well-written, very thoughtfully uh, delivered. The, the, the narrative is highly engaging. The two main actors that we have, in this film are absolutely stellar in, in their work. So Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep, I don't think you can get uh, more, you know, effective actors. And it's also, uh, the cinematography is by Roger Deakins and he's one of the great cinematographers the last 20 years. You know, he did Fargo, No Country for Old Men. He even did Blade Runner 2049. And so the film is just, is beautifully rendered. It's a lovely film, it's dark. It's a story of uh, a Catholic school, the environment of what it's like to be in a Catholic school in the 60s, I believe, or maybe 70s. I think it was in the 60s in the South Bronx. It was 60s, yes. Okay. And uh, so it's written by a guy named uh, Patrick uh, Shanley, who also wrote uh, Moonstruck. Uh, yeah, he wrote it, but he he also directed this. The, the, the film is poignant. Also, Amy Adams is in it. She's a she plays a very interesting uh, a role, basically a counterpoint to uh, Meryl Streep's role. Uh, Meryl Streep plays <clears throat> a nun that's worked at the school for many years. Her name is uh, Sister Aloysius. And she's all about like doing things the way you're supposed to do them. And, you know, they're it's all by, you know, by the book. And uh Sister James, who Amy, Amy Adams plays, is somebody that has aspirations and wants, you know, to engage with the students and wants them all to, and all the students are boys. She's very young and naive. Very young and naive. So in terms of the writing, in terms of this uh, film, it, it works very well. Things are not resolved. And Doubt is a very good title for this uh, film because we don't really understand what we should believe and what we should know. The main conflict focus of the story is whether the character that uh, Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman plays has some sort of inappropriate relationship with a student at the school who is a black student and- The only black student. The only black student. All the kids are white and they're you know from Catholic families and he's there to support him and make sure the feels comfortable and, you know, accepted in this <clears throat> the school. But we're not really sure if there's something else going on with priests, et cetera. You know, we're all wondering, did, was there some sort of sexual uh, aspect to his, Philip Seymour Hoffman's interest in the student? And that's what the question of the film is. And I think, too, that you might want to add that there is some you know, uh, another character that had a very impactful role in this, but that we didn't introduce yet, but uh, Viola Davis plays the mother of uh, the boy. And she just is in very, she's not in the, in the film for very long, but she has an amazingly powerful, impactful role in the moments that she's in the film. And really, I mean, just pops right off the screen, her persona in this. And 
one of the things that we learn about this boy is that, you know, he there's a lot of hinting that he has um, homosexual tendencies have been kind of permeating themselves at home and the father beats him and it's not acceptable. You know, that kind of is part of the storyline of why he and the father have such a, a close relationship. I, I have to say the film is like, if you're looking for a film that has resolution and your questions are answered, this is definitely not your film. This film leaves these questions open. So as you say, Viola Davis has, uh, she's got a, a small role, but a very impactful role. And when she does, she's got one very strong inter interchange with uh, Sister Aloysius, the Meryl Streep character. And she says to her, Sister Aloysius, the implication that perhaps there might be some sort of inappropriate connection between you know, the priest and, and her son. And her answer is, so what? I don't care. This is a place that my boy is, that he's accepted, that he's not going to get, you know, have terrible exchanges with his father. And that whole idea, this whole vague area, this idea of doubt is expressed incredibly clearly. And we as an audience, you know, we see, you know, the character that uh, Hoffman plays is the character's name is uh, Father Flynn. He's incredibly kind, incredibly thoughtful, always engaging. He has, we see him do many sermons and he's very thoughtful. He's, he, 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 one of his opening sermons, we see him is talking about the assassination of JFK. And he talks about how we have doubts when, you know, we think we know something and then, um, you know, something terrible like that happens and we feel like we're kind of lost. And he talks about how we should feel when we're kind of lost and, and how to cope with that. And that, you know, we, 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 so we're connected very strongly with him in the film, but then we are left with doubt. We're wondering what the question in the film that's raised is, did this boy, um, he drank um, some of the wine that's used in the, you know, the, the services and the question we're wondering is like, okay, maybe he drank and maybe he's a young boy and he steals wine, et cetera, that's possible. But then we're wondering, did, did he actually get the wine from the father? And was the, you know, what, what, was it inappropriate? Was he giving him wine to, you know, have be too intimate with him? Was there some sort of sexual aspect to it? We are never given the answers to these questions. And the character that Amy Adams develops really well, she basically is the audience in this um, perspective. She wants to believe that it's all good and, and, and because uh, his character is all about, you know, us caring. We want to care for these people. We want to help them, especially a black boy in a school with, you know, all white kids that aren't, are not very accepting of him at all. And to have, a, have somebody that cares and thinks about him is profoundly important, but then is he taking advantage of that situation? And that's the main theme in it. I, I think that some of the catalysts in the film, for instance, the meet the first big meeting in uh, Sister Aloysius's office, she's the principal of the school, and uh, she calls him in under another reasoning, like the Christmas pageant or something. And uh, but then she, while the other uh, sister. Uh, Amy Adams' character is in the room. She eventually circles it around to the to the situation with the boy, and it becomes this very confrontational situation between the the priest and the the head sister. Amy Adams' character is is watching this and trying to be 
supportive to both and like, oh, this se that seems like a very reasonable explanation, Father. Thank you. I think that explains a lot. And, and you know, Meryl Streep's character keeps just digging in and, and is very suspicious. And you get the sense that, you know, she's a very experienced nun. She's been around the block. And you get the sense that she has seen this happen. They've talked about it before with other, you know, there's, there's definitely, her suspicion is bound in some kind of history of this happening, it feels like. And, you know, some of the, the ways that we see this as more than doubt is that she basically tells Father Flynn that, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call your former assignments, your former churches, your former schools. I'm going to look this up. And he's like, fine, talk to whoever you want. Uh, you know, my references are clean, the, the archbishop or the diocese head or the priest or whatever. She goes, no, I, I talked to the sisters. And then he kind of got nervous. And it's implied that they that they told something that forced him to resign and he ends up, you know, leaving this parish. And the reality is she never talked to the sisters, but that was enough for her to know that she felt right in what she was doing and confronting him because she just felt for sure that he was being inappropriate with that boy. And uh, it turns out that by, you know, manipulating the situation and using disinformation, she basically got him to, you know, lean in that direction. And the irony of it is at that time, the Catholic Church was very much a cover-up organization. They promoted him and gave him the, the head of another school. And she, you know, she, nobody knows what happens to him. And I will tell you that a lot of my connection to this film was connected to the film Spotlight, the uh, film about the Boston Globe doing the, uh, or the Boston Herald, one of those two newspapers, doing the investigations into the, the Catholic Church in Boston with uh, Michael Keaton and um, a, a very famous cast that, that was involved in that. And it was based on the true story of, of them doing these news articles years later and uh, hearing the history of how pervasive they were covering up what was happening with the priests in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, it made this movie so much, so believable to watch this film and the, probably the play as well, because, you know, you had that, if you'd watched these other histories, or if you were familiar with the history of the Catholic Church and, and the parishes in the 60s, 70s and 80s in many areas of the United States, there was, there's been a cover-up. And uh, so to me, this film, maybe it's called doubt, but to me, there was no doubt. I mean, there was, to me, it was there that this guy, I, I was on the side of the nun, even though she at the end, you know, questioned it, uh, her own certainty about the thing. I still felt like she did the right thing. Which is the great, that's it, what makes this thing, the film work. Because in the end, we should have conversations about exactly that issue. The, the character that uh, Amy Adams plays says to her, is like, you have no proof of any of this. Sister Aloysius, Meryl Streep says, but I have my certainty. And her certainty is actually not based, it's based on circumstantial evidence. And we're not saying there's not, and we're, we don't know, because obviously this kid is highly vulnerable and he has no one, as you said, the father has, you know, uh, an anger towards him because of his potential homosexuality. And, and we don't know, but she is convinced. And then later she says his resignation, his resignation is a conviction, a confession of his guilt. It doesn't matter how she's doing what she's doing. She has to do it because she's protecting the kids. 
And she does it in a very, like, she represents a very old school idea of uh, education. You know, there's a boy that has a little radio and he's got a headphones in and she, she's always busting kids that are messing around with the system. And so she's like the old school. Very strict nun. Very strict. very strict. And so the idea is, so that's what she does and she's doing it to give them rules. And this is the way they should do things. And the role that Seymour uh, Hoffman plays is of a compassionate understanding person that doesn't want to be so strict. And of course, as soon as you do that, and of course this question raises, you know, uh, the boy was, you know, uh, drinking uh, the wine and all that kind of things. And he was with him. We're immediately wondering these other issues and the other issues obviously are highly pertinent. And the other issues just simply are not answers. And you're left, you know, and in the end we have this great, interchange between Amy Adams and, and Meryl Streep and he's gone. He's been removed. Meryl Streep confesses that she has such doubts. She wants to do the right thing. She wants to be strict to maintain, you know, some sort of like clear rules because that's the way you can get kids to learn. But Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is well, we have to care about them. And then when we care about them, then they will you know become the people they are. So with this great, thematic thing and it's a beautifully shot as i said it's the, the story structure is, is is very fluid and it's compelling the entire way all the way through you know i saw when it came out and i saw it again and i just was i was so impressed with how well made this film is and how as you and i are doing right now we're both questioning what really happened and of course that's what we're supposed to do as an audience yeah my wife uh, watched this one she doesn't watch a lot of films with me but she watched this one with me and i will tell you that it, it went to bed with her she she said she dreamed about this film and and it was very you know it was a very impactful film to her and she's a you know second language speaker uh it still was you know something that uh, definitely uh stuck with her it's definitely a, you know powerful it's a little unpleasant you know it's not the topically it's not a feel good movie on any level there is no feel good part of this film you know it's a tough watch but it's definitely worth seeing i thought i agree yeah highly compelling film all right well uh, is there anything you want to add don i would say go see it yeah um, yeah whatever you know, service you order, have order it on streaming it's definitely worth seeing uh very powerful all right our next film is frost nixon also, uh, both these films, by the way, were released in 2008. Uh, Frost Nixon is a film that was directed by Ron Howard. And the film was written as well as the play by Peter Morgan. And it stars Michael Sheen, Frank Langella, Oliver Platt, Sam Rockwell, Kevin Bacon, Rebecca Hall, Toby Jones, Matthew McFadden. And Matthew McFadden, actually, uh, I've been watching this um, TV show lately called Succession. And it's very interesting to see this, this guy in this earlier 2008 film and then also be watching them in a very big hit drama series on, I think it's HBO Max, very good succession. Uh, so this is a film that is based very much on a real life interview, set of interviews between uh, David Frost, a, a well-known commentator for the BBC, and then also he worked in Australia and uh, played by Michael Sheen and former president Richard Nixon, who uh, at this time, you get the sense that he was looking for a payout and, and also kind of voice, you know, his side of what happened with Watergate. And overall, just, you know, getting to kind of, I would say, repair his legacy or sell it, you know, sell his legacy a little bit better. And so he thought uh, David Frost 
would be a total soft serve kind of uh, interviewer. And so they negotiated for at the time was probably a considerable amount of money. I think half a, over half a million dollars for them to do a series interviews uh, over a period of days. And it was all negotiated out that, you know, what they could talk about on what periods of time. And David Frost took it very seriously. His producer, uh, who was played by Matthew McFadden, hired Oliver Platt, uh, Sam Rockwell. Th those two characters were well-regarded political insider uh, researchers who had written books and uh, were very strong characters to help him prepare for the interview. He also had his girlfriend at the time, um, who was played by Rebecca Hall, and she was there to kind of support him. And Toby Jones plays, I think he plays like a publicist or something for Richard Nixon, a book agent or a publicist or something, where he negotiated all, all everything for the, the interviews. And so they negotiate to have the interviews in California. And Frost is trying to make this into a profitable entity for him, but he ends up having to self-fund it for the most part because they couldn't get a lot of... Um, sponsors to take this seriously. And none of the broadcasts, broadcast stations at the time, which were basically CBS, NBC, ABC, were willing to even consider running this. And so he was trying to negotiate to show this uh, and sell it directly to the affiliates. And it was a very risky venture. And this movie really goes through the process of how this happened, um, both sides on how they were preparing and uh, going through the tapings, the experience of going through it. And then, and it was kind of a battle. It was almost like a chess battle between two sides. You know, that's how it kind of felt like, you know, Frost and his group against Nixon and their group. And they were all calculating and trying to figure out the next move and how to approach things. And, you know, Nixon was an amazingly good interviewer. He could sidestep and spend just tens of minutes just on worthless small talk that he could control and just kind of suck up all the time for the interview slots. And he, so the first couple of days, he was just killing Frost and just having small talk that always spinned him extremely well. And Frost was basically kind of stunned and all of his people were just freaking out because he was just losing this and it was going to be a soft serve interview. And everybody, you know, didn't know how to convince him. And he was just like, okay, I think that went well. And then he'd go off and go to some opening party and, you know, Hollywood thing. He was huge internationally, well-known. And so this whole film is kind of the process of this Frost-Nixon experience happening and then the conclusion and a little bit about the, the legacy of it. And it's really well done. Ron Howard directs it very well. And all of the characters were very believable. Now, I did look at, there's a YouTube video where you can watch a comparison of the actual video and of the new of the interview, the real video of the interview, and then the movie, and then see how each character's dialogue was slightly different and how things played out. And I, I felt that was very fascinating as a, a part of this to kind of see where the foundation of reality was versus entertainment. And overall, I mean, it was, you know, the flavor was similar. There was a couple of places where they, they really took, you know, some liberties in making this more entertaining. Uh, I thought it was well done. And I love these kind of history period piece films. And I was totally engrossed with it. And I've seen it many times, but it's just such a good film. Well, the one uh, actor you didn't mention was the actor that's, you know, everyone uses for six degrees of separation in film is Kevin Bacon. And he is the, you know, the advocate for everything Nixon does. It's all about maintaining Nixon's legacy. So I really like his role as, as well. Yeah, he's like the former chief of staff. Yeah. And he's like the guy that's like, 
whatever you're doing, we're going to make sure we're doing it for your legacy. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Historically, this is fascinating because, you know, Watergate is a piece of history that people, um, you know, talk about constantly. And then the very idea, this happened... 75 or 6, 76 maybe? So two or three years after Watergate, and he wants to find a way that he's no longer been excluded from everything. And this is his opportunity because, as you said, they do make allusions to the facts. And I think this is a little bit hyped up in the film to uh, his debates with JFK, because everyone talks about that. You know, the election in 1960, uh, that's when TV started to become uh, relevant in terms of, you know, uh, presidential campaigns. And uh, the fact that uh, JFK was able to look so smooth and look so good in the cameras and uh, Nixon didn't um, is alluded to because he talks about, you know, uh, in, during the interview, is he allowed to, he wants to pat his forehead off camera to remove sweat from, so he doesn't look, you know, uh, like he's under interrogation and this kind of stuff. So those kinds of things I thought, you know, it, it made a little bit Hollywood for me because they kind of, they just made sure all these other plot points were connected to historical things that were connected to Nixon, not necessarily connected to these interviews, but they made sure that we understood references to him being on camera and, you know, how he presents himself. Uh, the way Frank Langella presents himself as Nixon, very solid. He's a, he's a very good Nixon. He doesn't look exactly like him, and that's not necessarily such an important thing, um, but he does talk and mannerisms or he he does it very well he's a very convincing nixon and he's he he's an empathetic nixon like many people when you talk about nixon he is this guy that you know was manipulated the political system and he's talked about very poorly in in american history by you know many people and he's presented in a way of, of a guy that actually really cared about what he was doing. He actually accepts the fact that he might have done things that were not acceptable. He, there's a great line is that, you know, what you did was illegal. And he says, if I did it, the president did it. It's not illegal, which is such a great line. And this this film is fascinating in today's political climate where, you know, Nixon understood, you know, how he was undercut by his how he didn't present himself as well as Kennedy did and how it maybe affected his political career or how people perceived him. And then when you look at what's happening now with uh, Mr. Trump, he understands this very concept of he I think he shares the concepts of Nixon and the idea that if I did it, it's not illegal because it's I'm president. So it's not possible to be illegal. Trump no longer accepts the idea that you know, I have to apologize or like make any, you know, qualifications for that. And and it's when you see it in that context. So obviously that's how we watch it now, because we're aware of where we live now. It's fascinating because Nixon and in the interviews himself and in the film, he does like the, there's the big moment in the film where he does concede that maybe I went too far. Maybe I shouldn't have done these things. I shouldn't have done these things. And I accept responsibility. And so that notion of accepting responsibility, even though he did things that uh, people certainly highly questioned at the time, uh, it, it shows him like a human side. And now we are dealing with someone that is, I don't know, you want to say Nixon 2.0 or whatever you say, 
It's someone that that does the things and then says, I, I will not apologize for anything and I'm doing exactly what I'm going to keep doing. I'll never never acknowledge any wrongdoing. And uh, so maybe Trump and his his group watched the film and realized, hey, we could we could do the same things, but we just don't apologize and acknowledge. Yeah, maybe. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, both Michael Sheen and Frank Langella played the roles in the play. And so they were very familiar with the roles. And you could see that they were very comfort, comfortable in their interactions. And uh, that a lot of that probably came from the hundreds of shows that they did sitting across from each other. During the filming, you know, to kind of keep the air of presidential vibe, you know, Frank Langella was never out of character on set. He was always Mr. President all the time. Nobody, everybody just kind of, no matter where he was or what was happening, everybody addressed him that way. And he stayed in character the whole time. And, and at the very end, I think he finally said, you know what, I, I can come, I can go back to being Frank. Cause I think the whole time he was just being, you know, to stay in that, that zone, he was being president Richard Nixon. You know, he was also, he's a very, he's a towering guy. I mean, Franklin Jell is six, four, and he's taller than president Nixon was. You know, I think that that actually probably added a little bit more of an intimidation factor to hit the role and him playing it. Another interesting thing I liked was uh, there was a character that was, um, you know who I'm talking about? She was one of the Republican consultants. Diane Sawyer. Yeah, Diane Sawyer was one oh. of the Republican consultants per- prepping. They would go into a room and they would prep President Nixon and they would watch the uh, the feed from the, the Republican room while the, the, you know, the Frost guys were watching from their room. And the interesting thing was if Mike Nichols had was considered a possible director for this, and if he had directed it, he would have been directing a woman who was also playing his wife. So that was, <laughs> that would have been intriguing. Pretty, yeah, that would have been interesting. But yeah. Mike Nichols did not end up directing this. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I was fascinated. The concept of, you know, David Frost, this is a theme that's reiterated through the entire film. He's like, uh, he's an entertainment guy. And he knows how to like, you know, draw some sort of, you know, kind of like uh, Barbara Walters was of like really good at getting an emotional response and really engaging personally with people and, and, and being entertaining and people would watch his show and he was, you know, a fun, entertaining person to watch. And the film really emphasizes what a huge risk he took financially and as well as professionally in doing these interviews. And he, he was out of his league because this is not, he was not known as a political pundit or anything. He just interviewed people and he talked to people. And it is fascinating, as you say, I, you know, they hype it up and it's, you know, definitely a very Ron Howard thing. And he knows how to hit the, the all the plot, you know, the, the points where you, you to, to manipulate how we go down the, the road in the film and he, he, he does it well. And, you know, so we're taken through all these interviews and there's the last round and, and there's this phone call that happens. And I don't know how historically accurate any of that is. And Nixon, apparently, according to the film, calls Nick uh, Frost late at night before the last round and basically does this huge confession about who we are as people. It's people that really try to be who we are. And then we're always being ripped down by whoever's around us. And, and it's us that really have to rise up to the challenge and so it works really well on the film because it's, you know, it, it definitely makes us move forward in terms of the development of the of the drama. It seems a little bit, you know, overly done to me. And and so then, you know, at the end of the film, you know, so Nixon apparently made this phone call to, to Frost and and then, you know, Frost. Yeah, no, that, that was completely fictional. That didn't happen. Yeah. So and then the whole thing in the end where 
he says to him, did I really phone call you? And he's like, really don't remember it. So it. What did we talk about? Well, we talked about hamburgers. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the truth is he gave him the inspiration to rip Nixon down. And so that, I mean, the truth is like the reality is, is the last interview did have these moments where Frost you know, asked him really poignant questions where he had to, like he said, you know, do you feel you need to apologize to the people for what you did? And these things really did happen. So as you said, if you do the comparison, they totally exist. But the film kind of, you know, whatever, there's a manipulation of the narrative that you're like, really that happened? And as you say, it's, it's, uh, it's fictional. So it works as a film, but as it, when you do these films that are based on history, I don't know, I, I, I'm always a little bit, perturbed when they don't you know stick to the facts obviously it's not as, as sellable of, of a film because then you don't have this great phone call where these things happen you know it works. Then it's not a film uh for entertainment it's a documentary and th those have no commercial value so <laughs> that's not true at all lots of documentaries have great commercial value. yeah 99 of them don't though you know if you want to you want to make some yeah. money you got to base it off a true story base it base it i know I get it. It's just, but when you're watching it and you're thinking, okay, did this really happen? You're like, nah, that, that couldn't have happened. Because the reality is that last interview did happen and Nixon did answer those questions. And that's the, you know, the big moment is him saying what he did say, which was, I let the American people down. And that really did happen. And those are great moments. You know, it's an, it's an Ali Fraser fight where there's this, parrying back and forth and, you know, whatever. I will tell you, Don, that as a history teacher, I would often get asked questions by my students. How did that happen? And I would explain to them. I would say, well, this happened. And probably that means that this happened. And then this, this is what the end result was. And that's probably why this happened this way. And they would go, is that, is that true? And I said, I don't know. That's what I think happened. And then they go, well, is that what really happened? I said, well, why don't you look it up? if you really want to know what happened. And that's what I like about these type of things is it makes people actually do some research and motivate them to educate themselves. And I think these type of films can be very useful in regards to motivating people to actually educate themselves a little bit more and not just accept the premise of what the film ended up telling them. I don't dispute that. But what I do say, though, is that the only problem is, is then people start to think, oh, that phone call did happen. And they connected to what really did happen with Nixon and the final interview with him, with Frost, was he confessed and whatever. He answered the questions everyone hear him answer. And I, it makes me think of the film from last year, The Trial of Chicago 7. That we, we did that film. So, and the same thing, like, it's, it's such a fascinating film and it's based on history. And they throw in this artifice and, that, and then everyone thinks, oh, the, the artifice stuff is the same as the real stuff. And that's what I don't like because it's like that film and this film adds these elements into it that aren't real. And it takes away from the things that are real because then we think, oh, it's all just kind of made up. Then I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you some advice, Don. Don't watch any Mel Gibson movies because you'll just be really disappointed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, my namesake, but why are you going at Mel Gibson? But well, whatever. because if you want to talk about just warped uh, movies. Talking about Braveheart? Is that what we're doing? Braveheart, Braveheart, The Patriot, 
you know, every film that he's ever made, he's the beaver. Don't go, don't go after the beaver because I love everything, man. He's just, he's, you know, the three stooges. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. We're talking about films, but we're talking about something that's historically based. And, you know, if you're talking about something historically based, it's important. I don't know. As you say, it's all based on reality and whatever. Anyway, so I have doubt about this film. Really? Well, that's too bad. I thought it was a great film. I would recommend people seeing it if they haven't. It's it definitely does teach you some fundamental history about our own country, uh, recovering from a real time of crisis. And uh, there's some value to it. And it was entertaining. So I have no doubt that this is. Well, I, I concur in that. And I see this because Nixon is a fascinating historical figure as a Republican president. And I won't repeat what I already said, but what we're going through right now is a very similar situation with a, a leader that is using information and you know doing what he can to maintain power. And he didn't look at Nixon realizing what he did was a mistake because it's not in the best interests of the country or the ideal the country's based on. And he's like, no, that's the weakness the guy has. So I think from that point of view, I think it's a very interesting film to watch. And I will just leave it with you did repeat yourself. <laughs> All right, Don. Well, I think we, we covered these films very well. We made some good points about both of these films. I think they're both uh, well-made films that are worth seeing if you haven't seen them. And that's going to wrap us up for Cinema Around the Corner this episode. So thanks again for tuning in. And we look forward to talking to you again in the near future. See you.